0: So this morning we're in week two of a five-week series on the way of Jesus, and this morning is the way of Jesus is the way of prayer. And when I say the word prayer, prayer, what comes to your mind? Like, what's the first thing that comes? To you? I mean, is it is it the praying hands? Is it bended knee? Is it a um, bow, bowed head and closed eyes? When I say the word prayer. Is it, uh, now I lay me down to sleep? Right? Um, Is it Hail Mary's and Our Fathers? Is that what comes to your mind when I say the word prayer? Is it the fact that uh, it's something you wish you could do more of? Also something you know you're never going to do enough of? When I say the word prayer, does it elicit a, a sense of shame or guilt? And if I use the term prayer life, it is, does it make you feel like, wait till your father gets home? Or does it make you remember maybe those, those weeks in the summer uh, when you would go to your grandparents' house, and when you were there for a week, you were always loved and liked. You could never do anything wrong, and you always had a positive feeling on your way and on your way back. What, what does prayer bring to your mind? William Young in his book called The Shack got into a little bit of trouble with Christians when in the book he cast the character of God the Father as a pleasantly overweight African-American woman, grandmother, African-American grandmother, uh, who was in the kitchen cooking, and there was this deliciously inviting meal. And some Christians got very, like, turned around about that and other stuff in the book. But, but that in particular, God the Father as a black grandmother. People just couldn't, you know, they couldn't get... But, but what they didn't understand was that William Young was writing not about theology. wasn't well, the a theology book. He was writing about relationship. So the character in the book, as a child who was in an abusive home, down the street, a few houses, was this black grandmother who always smiled and waved when he went by and would often invite him in and feed him and love him and affirm him and encourage him. So as William Young writes the story, he decides for this young boy that when teaching about God in relationships, that when this guy went through this horrific tragedy in his adult life, that God showed up to him as a black grandmother who would take him in and feed him and love him because his home was so abusive. So it wasn't about theology or doctrine, but you teach doctrine through relationship and you teach relationship through doctrine, because it's it's dangerous if you have relationship without doctrine. It's dangerous if you have doctrine without relationship. There's danger when you have theology without relationship, or vice versa. And it's dangerous when you have prayer without relationship. Or if you try to have a relationship with God without prayer. You can't do it. But prayer without relationship becomes religion. (laughs) Who wants religion? Let me tell you. Maybe church people in a church want religion. But people out there in the real world, they don't want religion. They're tired of religion. Because religion is something you can never live up to. Religion just leaves you empty and guilty. And not enough. You don't measure up. So thank goodness that God is not about religion, but he's about relationship. In Matthew chapter 6, we know this passage. This is the, this is the, uh, the Our Father. This is the, the Lord's Prayer. We can hardly read it like fresh because it's so common to us. But after I read the first line, would you join me out loud, and and we'll read this together. After I read this then, Jesus' answer to the disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. This then is how you should pray. With me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then as liturgy developed, they added words and phrases from other passages, and they added, for yours is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Words which are not found right there in Matthew chapter 6. But you look at this and you say, is this religion or relationship? So when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray, the first thing he taught them was to address God, and even using the word address is too formal, is to relate to God on the basis of that he's our father, that he's our father, not this high and mighty potentate in the heavens, sovereign over all that is, but first, fundamentally, primarily, we relate to God as our father. And those of us who had good fathers, that'll be a a happy thing. Those of us who had difficult fathers, it'll be maybe a difficult thing. But that's for a different time and a a different teaching. But as we look at that, go back to the previous slide there, beginning in verse 9. Is this relationship or religion? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This Father has a name. And in this context, the name is Father, Father. But we know the name is Jehovah or Yahweh. But he's he's personal. He's not some like this disembodied deity somewhere. But he's personal. He has a name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. He's got a kingdom. He must be a king. Your will be done. He's got a desire. He has a will. He's got things that he wants to see happen. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're here and you're there. And we want what you do there to happen here, Father. And we call on you to make that happen. Give us today our daily bread. Just like in the wilderness, you gave the children of Israel the manna. Give us the bread for today. Because a good father gives food to his kids. A good father provides for his family. And so Jesus says, when you go to your father, he's your father, he'll provide for you. Just ask him. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Good fathers maintain good relationships. And they forgive kids. Look at the, look at the, um, uh, uh, the prodigal son, right? The father... Who's out there looking, 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 and he sees his son coming and he goes and meets him and he forgives. That's relationship. Has nothing to do with position or authority or power or might. Has to do with what? What we talked about last week. And it has to do with love. And lead us not into temptation. Protect. Good dads protect their families. They protect their kids. Protect us, God keep us from temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. There is an evil one. and You're not him. You're the good one. In fact, when he say the good one and the evil one, it gives, its, it gives this, uh, this equality to him. Not at all. The evil one's small and puny, and the good one envelops all because he's God. Deliver us from the evil one. So, this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray was a prayer that somebody would say to their father, you're my father, and I'm praying that you would deliver to me the things that a good dad delivers to his kid. And I'm relating to you as your kid, God, and I'm asking for these things. Help, help. My grandson, Knox, is just uh, 23 months old, and by the day, he's learning new words. And it's, those of you who are grandparents, you, you know, here we go. Another grandparent. So, can, can I show you some pictures? Let me get rid of the clock. <laughs> this, is a, this is a clock on Sunday mornings. Other than that, it's the grandchild directory. It's all the pictures. He's got this thing that'll say, if he's doing help, 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 yeah, help, yeah, he needs Help. And what does my son say? Daddy, help you. And he goes, right. This whole prayer is help, help, yeah. Help, help, yeah, you know what is yes, amen, amen. <laughs> and daddy says, amen, I'm moving towards you. Daddy, help you. We do that as people, right? If if your son asks for a, a stone or, or or bread, are you going to give him a stone? Or a fish, or are you going to give him a snake? No, no. No, and Jesus is teaching his disciples, when you pray, come to God as your father. How do the other gods get come to? Well, they're, 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 they're on this foundation and they're made out of stone or wood. And they have to come and offer things to the gods and bow to the gods. And fear if they fall out of pleasure and out of favor with the gods, that the gods' mighty hand will crush them. See, God is so different. And Jesus Jesus knew his Father. And he's saying, when you pray, and and my way is the way of prayer, and we're going to see that, but he taught his disciples to pray. And he taught his disciples to pray, and they asked him because they saw him. They watched him. They were like, yeah, teach us to do that. Teach us to relate to the, the Father the way you do. And in that little, short, tiny prayer. He taught them so much. I asked the question, did Jesus need to pray? I mean, theologically, how, how many gods are there? How many gods? I can't, I, I can't hear any. One, okay. I was going to say the first service had it together, but... Uh, so there's, So there's one God, so there's one God... <laughs> Now, now they do that. Now they do it like this. Back when in the olden days, remember when we this used to be three, yeah. right? Now, now this, now this is three, right? This is I think this is the cooler three or something. I don't know. There's, so there's one God in Father, Son, and Spirit. So theologically, now think with me theologically, um, uh, ontologically, the essence and nature of God. He, God Himself, is three in one. And Jesus would pray to the Father so God was talking to God. When I was a kid and things were not politically correct, there was a word we used for people who talked to themselves. I guess it's okay, nuts, right? That's the word, right? You're just nuts. Well, now we're used to, we'll pull up to a stop sign and there'll be somebody next to us and we'll be like, who's, who are they talking to? Well, you realize their speakerphone and all that. You can't tell who's crazy and who isn't anymore because everybody talks to themselves in their car but a God who talks to himself but in the very nature of God is relationship God is relationship I mean that's that's in his nature that's in the fabric of his being and he loves himself (laughs) they love them right? The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son, and the Father loves the Spirit. So God is relationship, and that's why prayer would be all about relationship. And for Jesus, it was as natural for him to to pray as it was for him to breathe. I mean, if you woke up in the morning and you've got like five people in your house total and you go to the table and you pour your cereal and there's two other people at the table, I mean, you're going to probably say something to them or at least acknowledge that they're there. You're probably not going to leave the house unless you leave before everybody else does, but you're, you're going to interact because they're your family, like with your husband or wife. You know, you, you live together and you love each other and you talk to each other and you spend time with each other. So did Jesus need, is that, was that the question? Did Jesus need to pray? Yeah. That's the wrong question. <laughs> that's the wrong question. But that's the question that comes into our, into our linear information, religion-based minds. Did Jesus need to pray? Well, that's kind of the wrong question. But to answer that question, yeah. He needed to talk to his father. Um. Just like we need to talk to our family members. We need to talk to our husbands and wives, our kids, our parents, our, well, sometimes our brothers and sisters if we absolutely have to, right? But we, we need to. And Jesus prayed as naturally as he breathed. So for us, here's the, here's the issue for us. For us, God is, and here's a big word, transcendently, and here's a small word, other. He's just different. God is different than us. And he's, he's way up there somewhere. He's removed, he's far away, and he's other. He's different. He's not like us. And so that can cause this, this chasm, this, this distance between us and him. In Isaiah 55, it says, uh, Isaiah wrote, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Hmm. Hmm. That doesn't sound far away, but he goes on, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. And then verse eight, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Nothing like them, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God says, I don't think anything like you. I don't think anything like you. You don't think anything like me. How often are we looking at the news or looking at our lives or looking at our community and we're saying, why? How is this happening? How is this going on? God, what are you doing? God's like, not like your thoughts. You know, my thoughts are completely different. Why? Well, because he sees everything and knows everything, and he made everything, probably. Or maybe the short answer is he's other. He's different. He's not like us. But also, God is ultimately Personal. Jesus tells us to address God as our Father. We looked at that in Matthew 6. And Hebrews chapter 2 refers to us as the brothers and sisters of Jesus. In the King James, I think the word is brethren. But it encompasses male and female. Siblings, we're, we're siblings with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he's our comforter, he's our advocate, he's the one who indwells us. And in 1 Corinthians 6, he's, it says that he's one spirit with us. Our spirit and his spirit are one spirit. So while God is transcendent and other, he became human. He came in the flesh. He, he incarnated. He became like us so that we could connect with him. John chapter 17, it's not up on the screen, so you actually have to open your Bibles or fire up your cell phone and your Bible app if you want to see it in John chapter 17 in verse 1 so John 17 is part of the the upper room discourse where Jesus meets with his disciples it's the night that he was betrayed and the night before he was going down and uh, they were going to put him on the cross and in 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 he does all this teaching and if you open your bible and you got the red letter version you got all these red letters and then he gets to the end of chapter 16, and it says that after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. What, I, what we decided I would come and do, it's time. It's time. It's going to happen. And we're going to do this together, Father. I wanna, want you to glorify me Support me, encourage me, build me up right now as I support and encourage and build up you and glorify you. For you granted him authority even, or, or over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And as he's praying this, the disciples are there, and they're hearing Jesus talk about being with God before the world began, being with the Father, and receiving glory from the Father. And now Jesus is about to do the most glorifying thing probably of his tenure as a human being on earth and that is to go to the cross and fulfill his work in later on in the passage in verse 20 you see where it gets very personal very personal very relational my prayer verse 20 is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message now notice right there at the beginning of verse 20 he says, my prayer and I pray. So you got the word prayer as a noun, and you got the word prayer as a verb. You know, we could, we could actually write prayers out, and we would have, this is Jesus' prayer on paper, we could have a prayer. So we could have a prayer for the morning that we write out, and that we pray, and we mean it because we wrote it, and we're praying exactly what we decided we want to pray, It's not just catch as catch can and just uh, off the top of our head, quick prayer out the door. But you say, okay, in the the beginning of the day, this is what I need from God. This is what I'm going to ask my Father for. This is what I'm going to pray about. And we write it down. And we have a prayer as a noun, and then we pray that prayer as a verb. And we mean it because we wrote it. So he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me, Through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now it sounds a little bit on its face like gobbledygook, right? I and you, and me and them, and them and us, and we and them, and it sounds a little confusing. But what it's what it's teaching is so is intimacy and relationship. We're uncomfortable with that at times, especially in public settings. In our culture, in the Western world, and particularly in America, in some church settings, we want, we we're taught to be proper. All of us older people, we were all taught to be proper in church. And so sometimes we're uncomfortable to, to realize the, the, the personalness of God, the intimacy that God wants to have with us. He wants to live inside of us. And Jesus said, I'm in you, Father, and you're in me, and I want us to be in them so that they can have what we have. And what is that? Love, loving relationship, uh, relational existence, unity. I've given them the glory that you gave me. That's heavy. That they may be one as we are one. So just think about just think about that for a while. That Jesus wants us to be one, like he and the Father are one. Like my first thought is is that even possible? But Jesus is praying it. Maybe maybe there's maybe there's more in this church thing than we ever realized, right? Maybe God really does want us to be connected. In significant, meaningful ways. Verse 25, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow. The love that the Father has for the Son, that Father Son love, Jesus is okay. He's okay with the Father having that kind of love with us. Father Child love with other than just Him. He's okay in sharing that. The prodigal son's brother, he wasn't quite as okay, right? When God, the father was just lavishing on the prodigal and the brother was like, dude, you haven't been around. You you took off. You bounced. Now you're back? Jesus is saying here, Have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I'm okay with you loving these unholy, a lot of words ran through my head. I picked unholy. Unholy people. I'm okay with you loving them like you love me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with you, to be with me where I am, and to see my glory. He's inviting us in. The glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And then he calls him Righteous Father. Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. The Son has made the Father known to us. And will continue to make you known in order that, what? In order that, for the purpose of, so that. The love you have for me may be in them. The love that the Father has for the Son. We're talking about in the the divine nature of God, the deity, the one and only, the only living and true God. The love that the Father has for the Son would be in us. And that I myself may be in them. And that Jesus himself could be in us. Listen. Listen. If you just came to church this morning and you're just, this is just something we do. I mean, I understand that. I, it's something I do. I mean, I kind of have to come, right? I don't know if I'd be here every Sunday, right? But I, I'm here most Sundays. But man, God wants us. He wants us. He doesn't just want us to show up, or He doesn't want our stuff, or He doesn't want our like, He doesn't need our homage. He wants what our homage means. It means that we're connected with the one who made us. We're connected to the one who loves us. I mean, you want your kids to know your love? How horrible when you love your kid. There's no reciprocity with it though. But but worse than that there's no recognition of your love. Oh, you're you're forbidden from loving. It's a horrible place to be. And God doesn't want that. And Jesus in this passage is praying. He's praying for his disciples and for those who would believe after them. That, that that it would happen. That the love would take hold. Going back to prayer being the way of Jesus, let me say that Jesus was the first contemplative, the first to master the inner life, the life in the spirit. What some in the alliance call the deeper life. Life in the Holy Spirit. Life in, in communion with and in fellowship with the Spirit, the, the contemplative, the reflective life, where we just sit and be with God. It says several times in the New Testament, but here are two. Mark one thirty-five, very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, he left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It wasn't a religious rite or it wasn't a spiritual discipline for him. I mean, if if I'm somewhere in a mixed company and my wife calls me on the phone and I see it, I don't have my phone, on silent, and I see it, I'm going to say, excuse me, I'm going to take my phone and I'm going to go out of the room and maybe down the hall or where my office is, I'll just go outside on the, on the, on the sidewalk. Hey, hon, what's going on, right? Because I want to talk to her. I want to get away. i got to get to a deserted place, right, a solitary place. How many times you see people get on their phone and they, they walk away? Why? Because they want to commune with that person. They want undivided attention with that person and communication. Jesus did that with the Father, as natural as breathing. Luke 5, Jesus often, often withdrew to lonely places, deserted places, out of the way, solitary places to pray. It wasn't unusual. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, is the baptism of Jesus. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Whenever I read that, it takes me to the ICU uh, room when my son was in a coma. He was 21, he was laying there in a coma, and I couldn't communicate with him with his eyes open. And this verse would come to my mind. And almost everybody that would come in the room, I wanted to recite that verse in front of them and let them know that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And hardly ever goes by without me seeing that boy and thinking that. I'm appreciative. And the father here says to Jesus... He's my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, whom I love, whom I love. Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying when heaven was opened. Jesus was praying when the Holy Spirit came down. Jesus was praying when the Father's voice boomed. What does prayer mean? He was talking to the other two people of the Godhead, and they showed up. One showed up like a dove and the other one showed up audibly because they're God. They're the three that are one. And then in Matthew chapter 26, it's the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus says to the Father, he says, "Um, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he says, My Father, if it's not possible... For this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. He's in his deepest, darkest hour. And what is he doing? Sweating great drops of blood, disciples are asleep. Judas and the and the the religious guards are you know trouncing across the hill. And where is he? He's talking to his dad. Because he has to talk to his dad. And he said, If you can help me, help me. And if you can't, whatever you're the boss. I'm going to do it. So, quickly, four things. Four things that I think the life of Jesus and the prayer life of Jesus, Jesus moves prayer from one area to another for us. The first one is that Jesus moves prayer from the bondage of obligation to the joy of relationship. If there's one thing that I would ask you to do is to think about that and and say, what does that mean for me? What is that? Because it means something. It's not just a, a factoid out there in the universe of knowledge. It means something. That Jesus moves prayer from the bondage of obligation to the joy of relationship. Second thing is he moves prayer from a list of requests. We see that in John 17. He's got some requests. But to intimate conversation. Because that's what it is. Because it's with another person. Not just to some disembodied an un- impersonal deity and then Jesus moves prayer from a religious practice to a personal friendship it, so i like the term spiritual discipline only so much i like it and i'll refer to it in just a second for one thing but i don't like it in another way because it's like i don't i mean do you call morning coffee with your spouse marriage discipline i did my marriage discipline this morning i had coffee with my spouse We don't think of it that way. We we think in terms of relationship. That's what God wants. And then Jesus moves prayer from rote repetition to powerful transformation. And we saw that in John 17. He wants to powerfully transform the environment where the Pharisees, uh, they like to be on street corners and they thought they'd be heard for their many words which kind of makes me feel a little self-reflective uh, right at this moment, um, be heard for their many words. Prayer is spiritual nourishment to sustain us, and it's also spiritual exercise to strengthen us. So sometimes you want to pile, pile prayer up. Like we pile exercise up. We only do it once a day. We get out of the way. Sometimes we got to pile prayer up, and we have to have a focused time for prayer it's spiritual exercise that makes us stronger. And then sometimes it's spiritual nourishment, and we got to spread it out. So we spread food out throughout the day. We don't, we don't pile food up and eat three meals and all the snacks and the fourth extra meal all in one time. We don't do that. We spread it all out throughout the day. So should prayer as spiritual nourishment be spread out. So think about, think about how you pile up prayer. And if you do and if you should... And what that would look like, and think about how you would spread out prayer. Spread out your relationship with God throughout the day. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us, that you, that you Lord, as we talked about last week, your goal is love. Your goal is love. And the context of that is in relationship. And that relationship often looks like the practice of prayer with us. But Lord, I I have one request this morning for me and for my friends. I pray that you would help us to not engage in prayer as a religious rite or a religious practice, but help us to engage in prayer as an intimate, personal conversation with our dad who loves us and likes us at the same time and who is all-powerful and can answer our prayers. If the way of Jesus was the way of prayer, Lord, teach us to pray in the context of a loving relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.